Live Above the Noise, the Choiceful Family Project. Welcome to Live Above the Noise, the Choiceful Family Project. I'm your host, Wayne Yurcha, and this podcast is a step-by-step action plan to help parents protect and prepare their children for the future. Thank you for joining us. This is episode number 12, and I'm here with my podcast partner, developmental and educational psychologist and kids media expert, Dr. Rob Ryer. And if this is the first episode you're listening to, we want to tell you that each episode builds upon the preceding ones. So to get the most out of the episodes, we suggest that you do listen to them in order. Also, as a guide for you, episode one through eight provide important foundational information. And with episode number nine, we start getting into life choice skills and we begin introducing specific tools and strategies designed to help you protect and prepare your children for the future. Now, in the last episode, episode number 11, we were joined by mom of four, Adrian Principe, who is the founder of Turning Life On and the co-founder of The Conquered Promise. Adrian generously gave us examples from her own family to help us explore communication techniques designed to help parents better understand, communicate, and connect with their children. And we're happy to have Adrian with us again today as we continue with that by introducing parents to a valuable framework to use with their children. It's called the Inner IQ. And Inner IQ stands for Inner Integral Qualities. But just before we get into that, we want to address a question that we received from a parent that's related to the last episode. She asks, what if my kids are attracted to dark, violent, or negative entertainment or characters? So Rob, to start, what are your thoughts on that? So the dark side characters typically outsell the light side characters in the world of entertainment. And they're constructed in a way by the entertainment community to have compelling characteristics that make them more powerful and more quickly powerful. So that that a child, especially an immature child at a younger age, will understand and recognize that sense of power immediately, especially if they're immature and identify with, wow, he gets his way all the time. You know, that's why it's so necessary to point out the transformation that occurs in film and in stories and how that eventually is not going to work because the hero or the protagonist learns something enough to overcome the control styles and power of the antagonist. But it's very, very clear that a younger child will pick a character that is the most powerful character and gets his way fast and relatively easily if that character is also compelling visually and has certain visual characteristics. It would make sense. Kids would gravitate toward that power style. So, Rob, what should a parent be paying attention to if their child is attracted to dark or violent characters? So while we're using the choice fullness model of awareness, ability, and control, what is the awareness that is being generated from the negative character? What What is my child learning? What are they becoming aware of? What abilities does the negative character have that my child is identifying with? And what control styles is the negative character using? And that's important to know. And it's also developmentally related because obviously the physical abusive 
kind of characteristic as a control style is the easiest, most concrete one to relate to. So when kids are, are looking for action heroes that are aggressive, that's easy. But as they get older, they hopefully transition into different levels of controlling the world around them. And that dissipates, even though the media, for example, perpetuate that same level of control in everything they're doing. Well, I've been in those meetings in hundreds of those meetings with media people. And uh, they're about like the simplest form of control and the most compelling form of control emotionally is what we're going to do. So they limit that down to violence and car crashes and everything that is compelling that way. And they refuse to understand the other dimensions. But the dark side characters are valuable. They're more important to kids because they demonstrate simpler forms of control. And the idea is to get those other forms of control in the mix and introduce children to how many ways they can control the world and move out of violence and dark side approaches as, you know, the entertainment industry perpetuates those. Can I ask you a question about that, Rob? Sure. So my son's school and another class at his school, it's an all boys school, this my 10 year old, right. they wrote some sci-fi stories that they then published. And I was in a meeting, one of the moms asked the question, she said she was really concerned because the stories were very, very dark. A lot of shooting and grenades and blowing people up and some cursing and, and the representative from the school, who was a sixth, seventh, eighth grade teacher in there in fifth, had said that, you know, this is very developmentally appropriate. The boys do become obsessed with this kind of thing at this age. And, you know, it just made me think of when you brought up the dark side and how it's a form of control. And so it's easy for kids to identify with that. What about that type of situation where they're writing about it? So maybe they don't identify with that character, but they're writing about it. What I would do if I was in that situation, I would be introducing the six types of control and asking my students to understand those six ways to control the world around them and then be able to integrate those six forms of control as best they can into the story that they're writing. And for our listeners, we touched on those six types of control in the last episode. And once again, they are the physical way, the emotional way, the social way, the ethical way the intellectual way, and the transpersonal way. And we'll be getting into those in future episodes. But further to what you were talking about, Adrian, isn't that just a great opportunity to look into and understand your child? Because this is something that the child themselves has written. And you know, we've been talking about interpreting or projecting or translating it from a character that your child likes in entertainment. But I mean, if a child is actually creating a story, creating something with their own imagination there, I mean, that would seem to me to be even a higher level of insight for the parent to get. That's beautiful. And depending on the age and stage, the unfortunate thing is the entertainment industry is going to keep selling you dark side. So their brain is being wired to think that's the best way of controlling the world around them. But when they do write that story, it's like you get that immediately. Well, this is how my child or this child at this particular age sees the form of control that works best. And that's an opportunity to introduce other ways to do that. So it is an indirect communication technique and it is projective when they're writing. 
And there's a ton of things to be learned from that that will lead you to introducing some alternative approaches. Adrian, what do you think from that standpoint? I agree. I think it's an excellent opportunity. I know the mom that had brought it up, she was really, really concerned about it. The fact that the stories were so dark and that they were written at school, and it wasn't just one story. She said she had read five of them, and they all seemed to have this common theme. I think it's nice for parents to have an action step when these situations occur, right? So she wasn't sure what to do. She brought it up to the school. You know, it would be great for her to have this action step where this is an opportunity to talk to her son. It's an opportunity for the school to talk to the boys about, as Rob mentioned, those six different types of control. And why are the boys leaning towards this type of control in their stories? And what does this say about the world that they're growing up in? You know, it, it extends the conversation. How is media affecting your interpretation of the world? And how do we remember these other ways to control? And the other thing is that if they have the inner IQ as a checklist to look at their story and say, well, let me see how my child is dealing with values and virtues and meaning and mastery and self-management. How is the perception of the dark side character dealing with these nine factors that make up mental health and well-being? So, the checklist would be, in addition to the forms of control, the checklist would be another way to, to uncover some of those things. So let's get into that. Let's talk about the inner IQ. And once again, the IQ part stands for integral qualities. So it's inner integral qualities that we're looking at. So Rob, can you first just give us an overview and then we can break it down step by step for parents? Yeah, well, we'll put this up on the site. And basically it's, if you take the research for mental health and well-being, and you say, what are the categories uh, that are necessary for a, a child to move from childhood into the future? We've constructed something called the inner IQ, which is basically the three C's, character, competence, and communication are the three categories. And under each one of those are three other dimensions. So under character is understanding identity, personality, what's going on, how the identity is working with the child and what the child is identifying with to create that identity. Number two is their values underneath character. That's a second dimension underneath character. And the third is the virtues that they see in characters that are in stories and entertainment and the virtues that they're developing for themselves. So that's the first dimension of character. So that was the character category, and the three dimensions of that category are identity, values, and virtues. So Rob, what would be the second category of the inner IQ? Second category, competence includes meaning. What is the meaning for the character? What is the meaning for the child? What meaning are they taking from the character and the story that they're paying attention to? Mastery is the second dimension under competence. How is the character mastering their future? And how is the child relating to the form of mastery that the character is using in the story? And then the third dimension underneath competence is self-management. How is the child self-managing and how does the character in the story manage his life? And what are the strategies and control strategies and power strategies that the character uses that your child may be identifying with? 
Once again, the second category is competence. And the three dimensions of that are meaning, mastery, and self-management. And the third category? Third category is communication, and it has three dimensions to it. The first is me communication. How am I communicating with me? Second dimension is we communication. How am I communicating with others? And how is the character communicating with others in the story that your child is involved with? And the third dimension is it communication, which includes any other transpersonal dimension. How am I communicating with something beyond me that's bigger than me? However you want to frame that, whatever religious background you have, if it's a spiritual dimension, if it's nature, it's an it dimension, which is basically goes beyond the personal dimension. So that third category is communication, and its three dimensions are me communication, we communication, and it communication. So Rob, is there anything else you want to tell parents in terms of an overview? So that allows us then to give parents this framework of reviewing stories and entertainment from an inner IQ perspective and being able to ask the questions with nine dimensions as a framework or a blueprint to be able to expose what's going on in the story. And that applies to the dark side character, the evil character, as well as the uh, light side character, the hero, protagonists and antagonists. So it's a deep, deep well of possibilities in terms of how to look at what's underneath the character and the story along these inner IQ dimensions. So for everybody out there, for all the parents out there, you're maybe asking, you know, why are we doing entertainment? Why are we doing the inner IQ? Well, the bottom line on it is that unless a parent understands their child better than the manipulators do, you really don't have much of a chance to influence your child's behavior because the power of tech media and consumerism is so dominating, is so big, and it's 24 hours a day. So how much influence do you have when the world all around your kids is telling them to do something, think something, be something? That's where we're at. So how do we impart the values? How do we impart the virtues that our family has? Entertainment is a door into doing that. So the way that we do that, once again, is that we find out what our kids are already motivated by, what their favorite entertainment is. And we learn that entertainment as well as they do. We learn to recognize what the tips are, what the clues are, what the motivations are behind it, so that we can understand what our kids are thinking and therefore help them to develop in their behavior and, and in their life in general. Now, the inner IQ is a very detailed way and it's a lot of stuff, a lot of information we understand it, but we're going to take this step by step. We're going to break it down and we're going to help parents understand that when they're looking at a piece of entertainment, what does it mean to their child? How can they use it? How can they translate it to help their child develop? So that's, once again, what we're going to do with the inner IQ. So today we're going to be dealing with the first dimension of the inner IQ, and that dimension is the character dimension. So that character dimension has the three components in it of identity, values, and virtues. So let's get into that and let's do that with a piece of entertainment that most people uh, know about and that most kids have seen, and that is Finding Nemo. So what we're doing here is we're using Finding Nemo as an example so that parents can say, okay, in this particular movie, this happened. 
and I'm just seeing it in a certain way. But hey, here's a deeper way to see this, a, a way that helps me understand my children more. So Adrian, first of all, your kids, I'm sure, have seen Finding Nemo. So what do you think of Finding Nemo? So they have definitely seen Finding Nemo and they like it. They request it actually quite often. So we've seen it a bunch of times. It's a fun adventure. Um, so you have the dad who is really loves the child and is really nervous um, having lost his, his fish wife. And so you have, you know, his personality. <laughs> Sorry, his fish wife. His you fish got me wife. on his fish wife. Okay. <laughs> uh, right? They are, he's the, it's the fish wife that the shark comes and eats yeah, in the sure. beginning. Yeah. Yes. And why, you know, Rob, maybe you can answer this. Why does every Disney movie, the mom dies? What's up with that? <laughs> Great question. Because at one time we were working on a movie and they were talking about the ending of the movie. Can you essentially allow the mother to die at the end of the movie? And then will that create any problem with the child if there's no kind of restoration of the mom figure back into the child's life? You know, if films are all about the protagonist, the antagonist, and the conflict, to reduce it down to three factors out of the many, then it's like, well, then the, the filmmakers, the writers are creating the conflict and they must have the conflict in order to, to have the hero or the protagonist resolve it. So if the wife dies, that creates all kinds of problems for the father and then for the relationship in terms of how that father bonds with the child and, and creates additional fear in the father that becomes really important in Finding Nemo. Uh, like you say, dad is obsessed and anxious and nervous, but all that's coming from loss. If there was no loss, it couldn't create that emotional response in one of the lead characters. So that's how they do it. Sometimes they get it wrong, and it's not good for the family, but it can be explained, and you can work with it if you understand how to use it. And of course, Finding Nemo does end happily, notwithstanding the loss of the fishwife, Adrian. But Rob, uh, using the inner IQ enables parents to translate what is a good story into something deeper that they can use to really help their children develop. So can you explain how to use these three dimensions of the inner IQ with Finding Nemo as an example? Yeah, well, first of all, um, because it gets complicated with a lot of characters and a lot of different personalities, I think a parent can take one character and they could focus on the one character at a time. Let's take, for example, Dory. But let's start with the question of, we're going to focus on Dory. Why do I care about Dory? Do I like Dory? And if I do like Dory, why do I like Dory? So Dory has a personality where she's caring, sweet, friendly, optimistic, helpful, good-natured, cheerful, big-hearted, selfless. She's a great little character. And of course, Ellen DeGeneres just knocks it out of the park with regard to that voice. You've got to love Dory because of all of those characteristics. And all of those characteristics are sitting there for a parent to deal with when they ask their child, who is your favorite character? And if they say Dory, it's like, let's talk about Dory then. What do you think is so cool about Dory? Why do you care about her? And then from an inner IQ perspective, you could move into what do you think Dory values? What's important to Dory? What's Dory about? What are the three most important things that Dory thinks or values? 
What are three positive traits or qualities? That's an identity question, but it's basically, what do you think makes her special, unique, important? What's the positive traits? Does she have any negative traits? Would you think that Dory is a winner or a loser? Why is that? You can ask these kinds of questions. Is Dory smart or cunning? What's the most important thing that makes Dory unique? So there's all these possibilities, which are basically questions in the inner IQ. There are questions about Dory's identity, and there are questions about her values, and there are questions about her virtues. And by raising those questions from a character like Dory, you're removing resistance, you're increasing motivation in a natural kind of medium where Dory's great, she's funny, she's happy. And at the same time, it's a very indirect way of getting to certain things that your child respects or is paying attention to. So how does all this fit in with helping a child's development? So the thing to think about is the developmental process is one of building an inner view, inner hyphen view. So that's the same as a point of view. And that point of view is going to be based on the inner IQ. So the point of view over time developmentally will be watch a film and I am picking up information and I'm motivated and I'm identifying with certain characteristics of the character. And you want to know what those are because there's technically a term called aspirational identity. It's identity that I aspire to. And this could be the reason for dark side characters and their appeal. I aspire to that identity in that particular character in the movie. That's going to change. For example, at every age and stage of development, the aspirational identity is going to keep changing. So if I was 21 right now, my aspirational identity might be for LeBron James saying, oh, how can this guy be this good? And I would aspire to his physical prowess at this particular age and stage. But I notice that if I get older, that aspirational identity goes away and I may aspire to Gandhi or to Martin Luther King. And my aspirational identity for a character like that or a person is altered based on my developmental stages and what I learn over time. So that's one of the reasons why it's not always a good idea to get panicked about the aspirational identity that is taking place with a dark side character. Because if we go under the hood on that and we go, why is that child aspiring and loves that bad, bad character? What's the aspirational identity that's taking place? It could be just gets things done quickly, powerfully, no one messes with them. So I'm at the stage of nine, I'm getting bullied in school, and I'm upset. I'm angry. That's all underneath the hood. That's in the backstage. This dark side character comes along. I aspire to have the power that that character has. So this whole idea of the identity of the character for the first piece of the inner IQ is a rich, rich vein to pursue. Lots of material to discover in that first dimension. So if you're your parent, you're saying, what is the identity of the character that is my child's favorite character? And what is that telling me about the identity that my child wants to be, well, identified with? Is that what you're saying? That's right. Exactly. So you can look at that character and that character is going to take certain actions within the entertainment process, within the plot. 
And you can watch the actions that that character takes. And there are values and virtues implicit within the action that the character is taking. So you can see what this character is about by focusing on one character like that, uncovering that inner IQ dimension for that character. Then when your child identifies with that character, you have lots of possibilities about why you like it, why you don't like it. What do you see? Is it a winner? Is it a loser? Is this or that? So all of those characteristics give you an open door to understanding your child's own identity, what they're dealing with and what they're forming. And this is all about a child developing their point of view over time and making sure that they have the tools and skills to revise that point of view constantly. So they're watching entertainment at this age. They're picking up this information. They're motivated to identify with this character through this information that they're getting at this age and stage. And that gives you a roadmap to well-being if you know how to use it. Rob, could you explain a little bit more about the differences between identity, value, and virtues? Sure. Let's talk about identity as being your individuality and distinctiveness. That's a simple definition for what makes your identity is what makes you an individual and makes you distinct from another individual. That's the identity. How do you gain that identity over time? You gain that identity by processing information and by establishing values for yourself. This is better than that. This judgment is more important for my life than this judgment. That's a new value. I'm going to pay attention to this. When I alter my values, my identity is in the mix. So it's an important part of shifting my identity by altering my values. Now, that doesn't mean that I take an action at all, that I have this identity. This is who I am. This is what makes me distinct. And here's the values that I am incorporating into my identity. So you would hope that those values, as well as the identity, would translate into virtues. A virtue is is a trait or a quality that's morally good. So it takes time to incorporate and translate the identity and the values into a quality that takes place in your actions in life. And you build that into the actions that you have through life. That's your virtue that you establish. The virtues, though, take time. Values you can establish quicker, and they create the foundation for building your virtues over time. Can I also just, can I just summarize it? So what we're talking about here in terms of character and these three identity, value, and virtues is thinking about a character that a child knows and is familiar with and their identity, their values, and how they're putting those the identity and values into work through their virtues and talking to the child about that and seeing if the child is connecting with the character on any of these three things. And then also to take that one step further is helping the child to evaluate the identity values and virtues of a character so that later on as they get older, they have the skills to be able to evaluate themselves and others. Is that correct? Yeah, that's great. And the other thing that's sitting right there is friends. That's one of those areas where it wouldn't be hard to translate that same concept into your best friend and the friends at school and and the ones that you don't like. And all of a sudden it can unfold into a really nice, simple tool for assessment. And I think that is an important conversation that I often have with my 12-year-old 
when she comes home and talks about different people in her class and connecting with different people and separating out the identity and the values and what's important and what's not important in built in terms of building friendships and you know for for us as parents encouraging friendships i think just having the ability to do this as parents and then teaching our kids to do this and doing it together is a great skill to have for sure and from a parent standpoint think about how valuable this approach can be as a guide or framework to talk to kids about social media issues that's a really good point because if we're teaching our kids at a young age to evaluate characters in their entertainment in terms of, you know, identity, values and virtues, that definitely translates to social media. We talk to parents all the time about talking to their kids. What's super important on social media is to talk to your your tweens and your teenagers about what is somebody posting? Why are they posting that? Who's their audience? Um, what reaction are they expecting to get from that post? If you're already doing this at a young age, starting to evaluate characters within a movie, then the child can start to evaluate their actions on social media or other people's actions on social media, and they can model an appropriate behavior versus an inappropriate behavior. And we've been talking about parents understanding their kids better. But the even larger goal here is to help kids understand themselves better to develop a level of choicefulness that enables them to create their own unique identity, one that can withstand the pressures and challenges of today's tech media and consumerism. And in many ways, that ties in directly with Finding Nemo, and especially Dory. To me, one of the strongest attributes of the Dory character is that she's not perfect. But that's okay. She is who she is, and she is unique, and she likes herself She has her own identity. She's not trying to be something she isn't. She knows she's not perfect and she's okay with that. And uh, so that really is a lesson as well, isn't it? Right. I think that's a really good point. And it's something that is really important for kids to understand that we're not all perfect and that it's okay if a child has a trait that other people don't appreciate, if it makes them who they are, if it's part of their identity and it's something that's not hurting other people, then it's something that they should embrace and not try to change. We've heard from teenagers that social media is trying to make them conform to a certain identity and that these kids feel like, particularly in middle school, that it's all about how many followers do you have and how many likes are you getting? How many Snapchat streaks are you keeping up with? And these kids feel like I have to be like everybody else so that I'll have as many followers as everybody else. Because if I put out my true identity, then I may not have as many followers. So they're feeling like they have to be the same, where that's what makes this world unique and wonderful is that everybody is different and everybody has a different story to tell and um, a different characteristic or a different identity to share. And I think that we need to embrace that and we need to teach our kids to embrace that as well. As long as their identity or their values aren't hurting someone else, that it's okay if you're different. It's okay if you're unique. You don't have to change part of who you are because somebody else doesn't like that part of your identity. It's okay to be different. That's beautiful. And I think that that's a great place to finish this episode. So the takeaway for parents today is to look at the PDF of the inner IQ under episode 12 on our website. 
liveabovethenoise.com. And to do some story spotlighting with your kids using those three inner IQ character dimensions of identity, values, and virtues. And coming up in episode 13, Adrian will be back with us and we'll be talking about how parents can utilize the next category of the inner IQ, the competence category with its three dimensions, meaning, mastery, and self-management. So until then, thank you so much for listening and live above the noise. Hello, everyone. If you'd like to get our email update about new episodes, tips and tools, and all the latest information, please sign up for our Noise Watch update on our liveabovethenoise.com website.